It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, guys, you are Locked On Falcons, and I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am breaking down my scouting report of the Falcons' 2020 seventh-round draft pick out of Syracuse in punter Sterling Hoffrichter. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, and, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's Locked On Falcons podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. So today's episode, we are rounding out the Falcons 2020 NFL draft class by giving you my scouting report on the Falcons seventh round pick in Syracuse punter Sterling Hoffrichter. We've gone through the other five previous selections over the last several weeks since the draft, and we'll be wrapping up the scouting reports on today's episode. And what's interesting about evaluating punters is it's not something that a lot of people do. You know, it's just simply you know, punters are people too, as my good buddy Rich Eisen would say. You know, I do want to sort of take you guys into sort of my process when it comes to evaluating punters, because I think, you know, you can learn a little bit, at least in my perspective. I don't pretend to be an expert by any means in this regard, but I, I know a little something. And maybe that'll help you guys as well improve your perspective when it comes to these punters being these great personas and personages that we have to have in this world today. So I went back and I watched about 80% of Sterling Hoffrichter's punts this past year and 70% of his kickoffs this past year as part of my evaluation. How do you evaluate a punter? You know, again, I, I won't pretend to be an expert, but I believe I do have knowledge that does exceed what the average fan knows about it. I don't get into the nitty gritty of the technical aspects of punting because that's mostly beyond me. But basically when you're looking at punters, you're looking at three areas. You're looking at distance. You're looking at direction. You're looking at hang time. And I think the main thing is that you want to find context for all of these things, particularly with distance. You have stats like net punting average or gross punting average. And that's how a lot of people sort of judge how good a punter is. The higher that number is, the better the punter is. But really, you got to sort of take things in the context because not all yards are created equal when it comes to punting. What you want to do is you sort of want to punt, uh, categorize punts in two broad categories. And I, I want to give a shout out to Inside the Pylon as well as Pro Football Focus for helping me better understand this concept. And I hope you guys will also better understand this concept as I go through it. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but sort of I want to break it down. Basically, the two broad categories is open field punting versus pin deep punting or short field punting. You can call it whatever you want to coffin corner punting, whatever you want to call it. So basically you look at where the football is on fourth down. And if the team has the ball inside their own 40 yard line, so on their side of the field, you're going to call that open field punting pin deep punting is pretty much anything beyond that. So, you know, at the midfield or in enemy territory or opponent territory is going to be pin deep punting. 
And so really the goal with open field punting is you want to flip field position and pro football focus summarizes this perfectly by saying on open field punts, ideally you want the punt to go as far downfield as possible without sacrificing hang time or out kicking your coverage. And these are the punts, as I said, where distance matters the most. Now, the way you want to evaluate guys is you want to look at how much the average punt distance is for that particular position on the field and whether or not your punter exceeds that or does not. So for example, you know, over the last several years, the average punt since 2010, when punting from your own 25 yard line has traveled about 47.4 yards. So basically the argument then is a good punt from the 25 would be any punt that travels 48 yards or more. So in the case of evaluating someone like Hoffrichter, you know, I didn't necessarily know what the averages for college players were, given that we don't have a wealth of play-by-play stats for college games like we do in the NFL. So basically, I decided for all open field punts that I was going to evaluate, I was going to basically look at a metric of like 50 yards. I was going to say the ideal punt in this situation, you know, when you're in your own territory, it's going to be flipping the field position by punting the ball 50 yards. So I wanted to see sort of how often he was able to measure up to that, how close he was able to measure up to that, whether he met that number of 50 yards or whether he or not he exceeded that. So that was a big part of my evaluation when it came to those situations. And, you know, to get into more about the issues with net punting average is that net punting average also factors in how, how, how far the ball is returned, which oftentimes doesn't have as much to do with the punter itself in terms of him doing his job. You know, he could have put the ball perfectly where you wanted it. And instead the coverage unit didn't do their jobs. And so for in, in this instance where you're punting from your own 25 yard line, let's say a, a punter punted the ball 53 yards, but then the, return unit or the coverage unit gave up a 24 yard return because guys were out of position, didn't make tackles, blah, blah, blah. And you wind up with that punter being credited with, you know, a 29 yard punt when in reality he did his job perfectly that, you know, in terms of getting that 53 yarder. So that's where I want to leave it at with the open field punting. Let's move on to the sort of the pin deep punting. And again, pro football focus explains It's less about the overall distance and more about the location in relation to the end zone and involves a fine balance for the punter too far from the end zone. And you're giving up field position too close to the end zone and you're limiting the chance for the ball to be down inside the five yard line. So one way I think a lot of people try to evaluate this and I learned this from inside the pylon is you want to look at that 10 yard line barrier. So if you're at the opposing team's 48 yard line, the goal is to really only punt the ball about 38 yards. So that's giving your coverage unit the better chance to down the ball inside the 10 inside the five, potentially uh, because we know collectively that returners are less inclined to field punts inside the 10 yard line. So you want to get that ball in the 10. And so you want that ball to hit the ground bounce and then your coverage unit's going to have a chance. But again, if you're, if you're too close to the goal line, it's going to be more inclined to be a touchback, which again, net punting average will factor in terms of their average, which will diminish from the punters uh, numbers in that regard, even though the punter might have done his job and the coverage unit just screwed up in terms of downing the ball. So I want to point this out because over the past several years, I've heard a lot of people criticize Matt Bosher because he's had declining numbers. Like in terms of his net punting average is the reason why he's on the decline and why 
it should have been the goal of the Falcons to try to replace him with a player like Hoffrichter. But the point I'm trying to make is net punting average, while useful, can often tell you more about your coverage unit than necessarily more about your punter. And I think pro football focus grades when it comes to punting are probably the best way of judging a quality of a punter's game because they're actively trying to contextualize these things. So when it came to Hoffrichter in terms of pin deep punts, I, you know, basically was subtracting 10 yards from the field position as sort of seeing how close he can get to that 10 yard marker. So kicking the ball 45, 50 yards isn't really ideal in those situations. And depending on where you're on the field, you know, a 35 yard punt may be ideal. So that's also going to bring down your average when it comes to these things. So, you know, if you're looking at saying you're being at the opposing team's 45, a 35 yard punt, at least the way I was evaluating Hoffert, that would have been ideal in that situation. So I wanted to know how far he was going to be kicking in those situations. Was he kicking the ball 38 yards? Was he kicking the ball 35? Was he getting only 26 yards on his punts? So that was really where I was sort of evaluating him. And I think that's a useful tool to evaluate all punters. And, you know, because we have play-by-play data in the NFL, it's easier to sort of judge what is a quote-unquote average punt given the current position on the field. And then you can contextualize whether or not your punter is doing a good job. And again, going back to what Pro Football Focus is doing, I think a lot of what they're doing is basically doing that and factoring that into their grades for various punters. So that's why I think you should guys should pay attention more to Pro Football Focus grades in terms of who's a good punter than necessarily some of these metrics that we use. So sort of the last point I'll say on on Hoffrichter before we move on in today's conversation is I think when it came to those three areas of distance, hang time, and direct I thought he checked all three of those boxes. And now that you guys know what exactly I'm looking for when it comes to punters, we'll get more into the nitty gritty of exactly how Hoffrichter checked those boxes coming up on today's podcast. But I do want to remind you guys that Locked on Hawks is still going strong. You can find the daily NBA podcast hosted by Brad Roland on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So I'm trying to be better guys, you know, less carbs, more protein. My body is a temple and I have soiled that temple, but built bar is helping me do better because I can get healthy protein bars that are also great tasting because they taste just like a candy bar. All built bars have real chocolate in them and come in a variety of great flavors. As I've told you all month long, I'm very partial to the peanut butter and coconut almond flavors, but you guys can explore all their flavors by going to builtbar.com and getting yourself a mix box that includes 15 of their most popular flavors. Just head over to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code locked on and you'll save $10 off your first order. Again, use the promo code locked on for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So when we're talking about the strengths of Sterling Hoffrichter, I think he has a good leg. I noticed watching him this past year that early in the season, he was kicking more boomers 
in terms of those big 50 plus yard punts than he was later in the season. I'm not sure if that was due to fatigue. I'm not sure if that's due to him trying to be more precise. I'm not sure if that's due to, you know, the weather being rougher in October and in November than it is in, in September and August uh, when it comes to, you know, playing college games on the road and whatnot. So when I watched the nine games I watched of his this past year, I only saw one 60 plus yard punt. So I'm not sure he's going to be booming these big, long punts in the same vein that we've seen guys like Marquette King in terms of just launching these rockets, you know, 55, 60 yards down the field on a regular basis. I think he has enough leg to do that um, from time to time. And I think he certainly has enough leg to reliably be able to flip field position uh, for the most part. He did have some issues kicking against the wind in two games I saw against Florida State and Duke. Both games, I think, had winds measured, at least at kickoff, of more than 10 miles per hour. Obviously, that's going to be less of an issue playing here in Atlanta because the majority of his games will be played inside. I thought his directional kicking was good. Due to the wider hash marks in college, I think he probably gets a little bit of a benefit there when it comes to pinning teams toward the sideline. But I thought he showed a a good job of regularly being able to put the ball outside the numbers on a a large number of his punts. He did have a few coffin corner punts in terms of like kicking the ball out of bounds inside the 10, inside the five yard line. So I thought he did a good job on a few occasions doing that. So I think he certainly is able to check that box as well. But really the thing that stands out when you watch Hoffrechter is his hang time. I know pro football focus recorded him as having the best hang time in college football this past year. Now, I think some of that was inflated by playing indoors at the carrier dorm. You know, I was also using my stopwatch for the, you know, 50 some odd punts that I watched of his from this past year across those nine games and the average hang time I had for him in his home games was about 4.7 seconds in the carrier dome versus when he was playing outdoors on the road it was about 4.3 seconds so I looked at all of his punts by my count about 75 percent of his punts had hang times of 4.5 seconds or longer and on the road that figure dropped to about 45 percent of his punts so I don't know what the average hang time is for college punters I know for the NFL, it's about 4.3 seconds. So even if, you know, 4.5 is, you know, well above average for college, which I would assume it is, the fact that he was almost roughly half of his punts outdoors means that he was still getting good hang time a large percentage of the time. So I think that's a a pretty good figure for him to have based off of his outdoor kicking time. But I just want to know that that when you guys see the stats that will say like, oh, Hoffrechter had quote unquote elite hang time these last couple of years in college, he is getting somewhat a boost of kicking indoors by about, at least from how I measured it this past year, about 0.4 seconds. The other thing that stands out to me was that he's able to get the ball away quickly. Ideally, a punter is going to be able to have that quote unquote get off time uh, from when they catch the ball to when they actually kick it of about 1.2 to 1.25 seconds. Um, Hoffrichter, from what I counted, was getting the ball off often in under 1.1 seconds. 1.3 is usually the high end of what is acceptable. 1.35 is pushing it a little bit. Basha was usually in that 1.25 to 1.3 range, which occasionally would get up in that 1.35 range. And um, when it came to Hoffrechter, I could count on one hand how many times he was pushing that 1.3 sort of second range. So he definitely has a quick stepping approach. I know... There was a significant part, a vocal part of the fan base that wanted to blame a lot of the block punts 
given Bosher's more quote unquote elongated approach uh, to punting the ball. I've spent several Twitter threads on, on over the last couple of years trying to debunk that narrative because I don't think it's, it's true, but certainly Hoffrechter is going to be quicker in that regard uh, with that sort of faster get off time. And the other thing that stood out with um, Hoffrechter was that much like Matt Bosher, He's going to stick his nose in there in terms of trying to tackle guys. I, I noticed him doing that quite a bit on kickoffs. Didn't really see that on punts because basically all his punts or the vast majority of his punts are fair catches because of that great hang time. So he doesn't have a lot of returns. I think I saw a stat pro football focus said that he only had like 13 yards returned against them all this past season, which is ridiculous. But um, I may be misconstrued. I think it was like 13 yards on like 11 of returns or something ridiculous. So that's a testament to his hang time. But when he does get those opportunities to sort of stick his nose in there and be active in, you know, kick return support, uh, he's 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 going to throw his body around from time to time. And I, I noticed one knock on him. I think it was Lance Earline at NFL.com said, you know, that's a concern given that he's a smaller guy. And I, I did notice like when I was – particularly when we get later in the episode and we start talking about comparisons for him, I did notice that he was definitely on the smaller side when it comes to punters. I was completely oblivious to the fact that the vast majority of punters are like six, two to six, five and two ten to like 230 or 40 pounds. That just, you know, I knew there were certainly big punters in the world, but I didn't think it was as widespread as it appeared to be when I was looking up various guys to see sort of who compared to him from a size standpoint. But um, you know, I, I do think that I, I, I count it as a plus. Obviously, you guys know my my long adoration for Matt Bosher and the swagger that he brought to the table in terms of that toughness and that edge that he played with that he was going to hit guys. I don't think we're going to see, you know, him be as good a tackler as Bosher just because he's going to be giving up a lot of size to a lot of guys um, in this league. But it is one of those things that I did notice a couple of times where he did make a tackle or he did lower the shoulder and deliver a hit to a guy. You know, he got up and jawed a little bit with guys. And we, we, we saw many times where Matt Bosher would do that. So I think Hoffrichter definitely has that swagger. And it, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if that was a big reason why the Falcons were particularly attracted to him. In addition to the fact that, you know, he's experienced kicking indoors and also has, you know, big time hang time and was very productive this past year and was, you know, Pro Football Focus highest graded punter this past year. I think he was number four in his junior year as well. So it's one of those things where certainly his skill set on the field more than backs up his ability. But, you know, having that little swagger in terms of that extra something, I think, is, is certainly valuable and, and certainly something that could endear me to him as well as many others to him in the next couple of years. And we'll talk about sort of what he can become in the next couple of years by getting into my expectations on his floor, his ceiling and what Hoffrechter will do in his NFL career. But on the note of NFL careers, did you know that Matt Williamson is a former NFL scout that brings his expertise and experience every day on a daily podcast. And it's called the locked on NFL podcast. And you can subscribe to it on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple podcasts, Google podcasts and Spotify. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team 
every day. So normally this is the part of the scouting reports where I do my floor, eye level, and ceilings and compare him to three different NFL players, sometimes active, sometimes former NFL players, and say, okay, this is what he could be. I can't really do that with uh, Hoffrechter just because I don't have that much knowledge about all the different punters in the league. But I did one of the things I did wanted to do was go back and look at several punters that have both punted as well as kicked off for their various teams over the last five or so years and try to look at at least that group of players and say, okay, who does he compare to stylistically? And the player I came up with was Thomas Morstead, who's with the new Orleans saints has been with the saints for 11 plus years, I think. And, you know, Morstead no longer kicks off for the saints, but did early in his career and only in recent years, I think went away from that when they got Will Lutz or whoever, I, I don't know. But, um, one of the things that did stand out to me more says much bigger guy than Hoffrick there, but what did stand out to me was that he also has that sort of quick kicking style where it's, it's, you know, one or two steps, um, and not really sort of that running start that you see with a lot of punters around the league. So when I was looking at all these various punters to me, Morstead and him stylistically do or similar in terms of what I think their NFL comparisons are. So that to me is, you know, you're basically when we're talking about what Hoffrichter can be in the NFL, he can be a player like Thomas Morstead, but just in a smaller frame, you know, just mix in some Matt Bosher swagger into Thomas Morstead. Um, and, and you're sort of getting what Sterling Hoffrichter is when we're talking about the floor and his ceiling, obviously, you know, in terms of his floor, not really talking about a specific player, but you're talking about a guy that could be out of the league in relatively quickly. Um, you, you're talking about a guy that could be cut this summer, um, if he lost the competition to Ryan Allen. Now, I don't think it's likely that he he's going to lose the competition, but he's by no means a lock to make the roster at this point in time. It's certainly in the past, it was relatively common occurrence for teams to draft a punter and that guy not make their team as a rookie. You know, that was pretty common, you know, 10, 15 years ago, not so much in recent years, but that notion that you, you could draft a punter and he could not make your team has been a big reason why I've never, you know, in the past I've been sort of anti-drafting kickers and punters because at least historically speaking, the drop-off between, you know, that kicker and punter that you draft and his undrafted counterpart isn't as significant as it is at a lot of other positions. Nowadays, I think that is less of an issue, but it is at least more of a concern nowadays is less that you're going to cut the guy that you drafted in his rookie year. It's more of whether or not he's going to last more than four years. He's going to last beyond the life of his rookie contract. That team, that tends to be more of the issue with some of the punters drafted over the last five to seven years, more so than those guys not getting cut. But even recently you had a guy like say Johnny Townsend, who was a highly ranked punter in the 2018 draft. He was taken by the Raiders in round five, played one season with them and then was cut in year two and currently out of the league. So that to me is a possibility that's happened recently with a player. So when we're talking about Hoffrechter, there's no guarantees that he's going to have long-term success. But for the most part, I, again, I think you're more concerned with Hoffrechter about whether or not he's going to play more than four years with his with this team. And are the Falcons going to be four years down the road when his contract is up? Are they going to be looking back at the last four years and saying, well, you know, he was okay, but we could get comparable value. Just look at the 2016 draft, which is the draft class that just came up to free agency this past off season. And there were three punters drafted that year. Drew Kayser with the chargers, Riley Dixon with the Broncos and Lachlan Edwards with the jets. 
Kayser was cut by the Chargers after two years because of his struggles as a holder. Dixon was traded by the Broncos after his second season, went to the Giants, who just gave him a three-year extension this past December. So he was able to stick there. And Edwards wound up playing four years for the Jets. But they just drafted another punter this past year in Braden Mann to replace him rather than resign Edwards. So he's now currently out of the league right now. So that to me is kind of a f- possible floor for Hoffrechter, which is a guy that the Falcons may be looking to replace in three or four years. I think his ceiling as far as that goes is that he could wind up having a very long career and potentially go down as one of the best punters in team history. You look at a player like Morstead, who I compared to him earlier. He's played 11 seasons with the Saints. He just signed an extension just a few years ago, and thus is now signed through the 2022 season where he'll be 36 and could potentially play beyond that. Now, you don't see that many guys playing into their mid to late 30s in today's NFL as punters as you used to because it seems like collectively the NFL has decided that punters and kickers shouldn't cost you that much money unless they're super reliable. But I have tended to notice that the teams that do tend to hold on to kickers long term and these guys that are able to go into their 30s and mid 30s and beyond the age of 35 with the same teams tend to be the teams that are at least regularly in playoff contention. And those teams that are regularly competing at the higher levels tend to be a lot more willing to pay the premiums for older kickers and more proven guys rather than middling teams. And thus, I don't think it's that much of a coincidence that Matt Bosher and and Matt Bryant suddenly started to look a lot more expendable to the Falcons once they stopped being that sort of playoff contender these last two years. So, you know, that being said, I think with the, in terms of a ceiling with Hoffrechter, you know, he could wind up playing 10 to 15 years here in Atlanta. That to me is what his ceiling is. I do think it's worth pointing out that whether or not he does that depends on a lot of factors and variables that just go beyond his ability to, to punt the ball and, and put the ball in the right spot. You know, you, right now there are 11 kickers active in the NFL that were drafted by the team that they currently play for. Two of them were drafted this year, including Hoffrichter and Mann. Five of them were drafted in 2018 and 2019, just leaving four guys that were drafted prior to the last three years that are currently still with the teams that drafted them. And those guys have played in the league for six, 11, 11, and 14 years, including uh, Thomas Morrison, who was a Saints pick in 2009. So it does seem like teams are going into that direction less nowadays than they have been in the past. So we'll see if that changes in the future. And I do want to circle back to Kayser in in a moment who was cut two years ago because he wasn't necessarily a bad punter, but because his holding was a big problem for the chargers uh, and led to a lot of their kicking issues uh, that particular season back in 2018, I believe it was. And I think what's that's worth noting is because Hoffrichter didn't hold while he was in college, at least not this past year. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, holding a kick, holding a field goal is some impossible skill that a guy can't learn. And to Hoffrichter's credit, he did hold during the NFLPA Bowl uh, during the game. And it was a non-issue as far as I could tell. But when you're looking at a situation where we get into a preseason and if he's asked to hold some field goals and he botches a couple of those things, that could potentially make or break his chances to make the roster in a close competition between him and say Ryan Allen, who does have holding experience. You also have Matt Schaub who has holding experience. You know, people often forget that Schaub did hold for kicks during his early days in Atlanta. So 
I do think even if Hoffrichter struggles in that regard, the Falcons do have a backup option in terms of Matt Schaub, in terms of being an option there to hold on field goals and, and extra points or whatever. And that's also reason number 627. While Matt Schaub ain't getting cut this summer, you guys, but you guys can keep on believing in that dream. Um, I will continue to believe in the greatness of Matt Schaub, but that's a conversation for another day. But I will say on that note of holding, if Hoffrichter can't be a reliable option for this team at some point in the near future, whether it's this year or next year, I can't see him holding on to the punter position long-term. So that is something that he's going to have to develop. Again, I don't think that's an insurmountable mountain that he can climb. And based off of a very small sample size of a bunch of field goals and extra points he had and in one game doesn't seem like it should be that big an issue. So I don't want to sit here and act like it's a big deal, but I do think it's worth mentioning that that could be an issue. So the other thing, the last point I want to, I want to talk about is I've heard a lot of people talk about how being able to pull double duty as a kicker and punter. And, you know, I personally find this idea silly. Obviously, longtime Falcon fans know that that didn't work out for the team, particularly in the 2006 season with Michael Kanan. Uh, we saw the Vikings recently explore this possibility last summer with uh, Kari Vedvik, and that wound up being a disastrous um, decision. There hasn't been a combo kicker and punter in the NFL since 1981, at least according to Google. So it's been almost 40 years, you know, and when you look at Hoffrichter's record of kicking in college, he only kicked four field goals. He only attempted four field goals in four years at Syracuse. So I feel like people acting like that somehow makes him potentially qualified to be an NFL kicker is a massive stretch. I could understand toying with the idea if he had a college career similarly to Pat McAfee, who was a full-time kicker at West Virginia uh, before he wound up being the punter there, you know, and over the course of his career at West Virginia, Mac. McAfee wound up making 58 field goals and made over 200 extra points in college. Michael Kanan himself also made 43 field goals in college, made 143 uh, extra points as well. Compared to the Hoffrichter who made three field goals and one extra point. So I, I, again, I feel like this notion that like there's some real potential to explore his kicking potential there, I think is a, is a massive stretch. Now, if you want to sit there and say in a do or die situation, it's 11 seconds left on the clock. It's the fourth quarter. It's fourth and 11. The Falcons have the ball at the opposing team's, you know, 34 yard line. They're down two points, you know, young way or whoever the kicker is gets hurt earlier in that game. And rather than Matt Ryan trying to go for some desperation pass on fourth and 11, that has like a 20% chance of successing and converting on first down to get the Falcons one shot at the end zone um, or, uh, you know, a much easier field goal. You want to try for the long field goal with Sterling Hoffrichter because you think he has a better chance of making it than say the average NFL punter. I would be all aboard that, that, you know, I, I agree a hundred percent with you based off of his, you know, very limited sample size that he had in college. But I think entertaining the idea that anything more than that is sort of him being a full-time kicker is, is pretty much a full stream. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say we won't see a combo kicker punter at some point in, in the future in the NFL. I think anything is possible, but I'll sit here and say that the odds of that guy being Sterling Hoffrichter are about a million to one, if not, you know, a hundred million to one, if you ask me. So if, if Hoffrichter goes to the coaching staff and says, hey, you know, I want to try kicking some field goals in practice. You know, if I'm the coaching staff, I'm like, hey, sure, knock yourself out, kid, uh, you know, because we're basically preparing for that one very specific scenario that is very, very, very unlikely to ever happen. Sure. You know, if you just want to be, you know, 
prepared for that very unlikely scenario. Sure. It's not going to hurt anybody, but I think this idea that he can be both a kicker and punter long-term here in Atlanta, I think is, is foolish. Now, if he had, again, if he was a full-time kicker in college, we might be having a different conversation and be, and be worth legitimately exploring. But a guy that's occasionally kicked field goals in college is not a guy that I'm necessarily going to invest time and or energy into trying to develop that guy. You might as well be out there trying to make Croy Bierman or Chad Ocho Cinco into full-time kickers. Sure. They could do it in a pinch, but you know, it's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous idea to think that that's something that you should legitimately be investing uh, energy and resources into trying to make into a real possibility um, in the future. So that's where I stand on that. So I think ultimately Hoffrichter's got a bright future here in Atlanta. If you were asking me, um, you know, who's going to be playing for the Falcons five years from now, uh, certainly among these day three picks, I would certainly put my money on Hoffrichter uh, over Michael Walker and, and Jalen Hawkins. Yet, as I explained earlier, who knows if that's going to be as much a common occurrence in the future of the NFL as it has been in the past of the NFL just because of the tendency that it seems like teams are more inclined to not want to pay guys, but we'll, we'll sort of see, we'll see what the Michael Dixon's and the Mitch Wisnowski's of the world, when their contracts are up in, in two to three years, whether or not their respective teams are going to be willing to pay them. And that's going to probably factor into whether or not the Falcons are going to wind up paying Hoffrichter. So it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. Um, but I think Hoffrichter is a, a solid pick that checks a lot of boxes and at least, you know, appears that he can bring some swagger to the position that, you know, we've had on the Falcons roster for the last nine seasons. And hopefully we, we can get, you know, nine more years of that with Sterling Hoffrichter. So there you guys have it. There's my scouting report tomorrow. We will be back with our Falcons historian shootout on the 2018 season. I believe I hope you guys uh, stay safe out there until then. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the locked on podcast network. Your team, every day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.